It's time for Caught on Tape with Doug Murin. And now your host, Doug Murin. Hey, thanks for joining us again today. Today's show, we're going to uh, go back with a, a message I presented uh, on love and how, how love works. Because uh, we, all, we all know that we need all the love we can get our hands around. So I'm going to launch right into the message right now, and I'll, I'll uh, magically appear later in the show with some words to share with you. As we study 1 Corinthians 13, we are affirming again our commitment to the kind of environment that those gifts work in best. And they're the environment of love. And Paul is basically addressing a church that's gotten out of hand because they've become power-focused instead of love-focused. And it's so easy to do that. Whatever the power is, it's easy to believe that somehow in our mass march numbers or in our political block votes or in the demonstration of great power gifts, that that's where God gets most of his work done. When Paul is really making a case right here, the really the most profound way that God's work gets exhibited and released on earth is through hearts that determine to live according to the character traits of love. It isn't in the big stuff. It's in the everyday issues of releasing love that his work is most ushered forth on this planet. And this planet badly needs the embracing of God's love. How many would agree with that statement? Now, before we launch into the fourth trait of love in this chapter, let me, let me also say, as I kept reading over 1 Corinthians 13, as I've said a couple times, I felt unworthy to even read it after about five readings. And after you read this multiple times and you realize the lifestyle that's being outlined here, you pretty much feel like a bum when you get through reading it a few times. How many of you have read it enough times that it's soaked, it's soaked into your mind and you think, oh my goodness, and I have to come preach on this, you know, for three weeks. And I'm saying, my goodness, how far we are from the measure line. But... What a wonderful measure line it is to focus on and move toward. Amen? One of the things I can concluded, though, when I got away from this and, and looked at it, is I became utterly convinced that love is immeasurable until the pressure's on. The character traits that describe love here, you don't see when everything's going wonderful. This, these character traits of love only are observable when the heat is on and when everything is going the worst. You never know how much you love until things are going their worst. Turn to the person next to you. Say, you, you just, come on now, look, turn to It's just a good feeling until the heat's on. Some of you didn't do it, and I want you to do it right, do it right now. Tell them, you don't know yet, you know. You really don't know. Until the heat's on, you don't know the measure of your love. And so Paul says, when the heat's on, baby, and it gets dark, and the fire's hot, and and things are going bad, and looks like the wheels are coming off, here's how you know how endowed with the nature of the Spirit you are. And he launches out now, we're going to look at, he says, first off, love doesn't boast. What he's, what he's really saying in this context is that people were bragging about their spiritual gifts. Uh, basically what he's saying is love doesn't have to be center stage. In other words, another way of saying it, when love doesn't boast, it means that love doesn't have to not just be center stage, but love can literally go unrecognized. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget the time that, that I recognized a few teachers from our Sunday school program, our children's program on Sunday. And, and then also uh, the next week then, I'm mean, elder, they were older, excuse me, they were junior high workers. And then the next week I recognized the council and we gave them a plaque. 
And I stepped down off the platform, it was at the old building, and, uh, which you didn't have to step down far because it was only about this high, and, and uh, had taken no more than a step and a half, and one of the workers from the nursery, not presently working in there, after this conversation, um, accosted me and said, how could you do that? I said, well, what did I do? So, well, you, you recognized last week junior hires, and now you've recognized uh, the council people. And, and we've been in nursery. I know people, and they've been in there for three years, and you've never once ever said thank you to them. And I've, and I've been in there for years, and I, I really feel, I just really feel, I'm just going to tell you, I don't even think I can go to church here anymore because I just feel so terrible about the way you treat it. You, the, the unrecognition is just, it's just intolerable. You don't ever intend on recognizing us, do you? And I said, well, I certainly don't intend on recognizing you. I can assure you of this. And I said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you're doing what you do for all the wrong reasons. See, love doesn't serve to be recognized. And oh, how we've salted that through our midst. And we, we want our kudos and our affirmation. And as soon as you go on that basis, love leaves. It's one of the things I like to tell pastors when I do conferences. And I like to tell young guys who go out of here to start and found, to found their own church. Few of them didn't listen to me when I told them that and they got out and found it was true. I said, you know, I get a lot of respect around here. As long as you don't read my mail, you know, you, you think I got a lot of respect. And people really love me. And everybody opens doors for me and they want to be nice to me and I get birthday cards and all that. And I, I bet you think you're going to go to a church and everybody's just going to think you're the greatest. And, and I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot of doo-doo goes before those, those accolades and people treating you nice. And you've got to, you know, are you going to be able to handle that? Because they're not everybody. In fact, you're going to attract more people who don't like you. In fact, you're probably going to initially, your first year, anybody I ever know that ever pastored a church, half the people could have done it better than the pastor was. And we're shy about letting him know it. And sure enough, they go out there thinking everybody's going to affirm them. And after a year, everybody pretty much thinks they're bum and lazy and, you know, ought to have a job or something. And, uh, and they don't know what to do. And I say, you know, you've got to decide why you do what you do. You've got to do it because you love people. You've got to do what you do, not because you need recognition. You've got to do what you do because you just flat care about people. And that's what this statement means. The fourth point he's saying is you know love is at work when you don't need to get credit for what you do. You aren't boasting. You aren't bragging. You don't have to be center stage. The fifth trait he's going to watch into is it's not arrogant. And what I, what I wrote down there is it, it, love has the capacity to realize your limitations and others and you don't live on the basis of comparison. Actually, the Greek language is a great one. It's, it's puffed up. Uh, you know, they use that a lot in, in the press anymore. Anybody heard this phrase, what, puff it? What's it mean when a, when a marketer or somebody, anybody in marketing around here? And they say, puff it, what do they mean by that? Make it look, yeah, make it look bigger than it is. You, you make it look bigger than it is on the basis of comparison usually is the best way to do it. And, and, uh, and Paul is basically saying someone operating by love doesn't do comparison, doesn't try to prove how hot they are. It's just not part of the trade of love. It, it doesn't have to somehow express itself by belittling someone else. And that's usually what this word means. By puffing yourself up, it means that you drop comments of, of describing yourself as maybe a little more superior than another person. And you actually try and gain self-esteem by demeaning others. And he says, don't, don't do that. Love doesn't, love doesn't boast. It doesn't 
doesn't get any arrogant. It doesn't puff itself up. And, and then he says also, it's, it's not rude. And so most people in New York don't know about, about love. <laughs> love is not rude. Well, what does he mean by that? Love lives with sensitivity. Anybody ever been to New York? <laughs> yeah, they, they, have not, they don't know 1 Corinthians 13 exists there. I'll just tell you that right now. He also says, not only is it not rude, rude simply means that you live with regard to other sensitivities around you. That you don't say, well, I think it's great, so it must be great. That you're, you really live with some sensitivity for other people. Then he launches out and he says it's not self-seeking. Uh, in other words, love doesn't relate to others on the basis of what you can get from them. Um, there's kind of a funny thing in, in the job market in America right now, and, and, and managers are going crazy because we really have a shortage of skilled workers. Anybody here who has their own business, I'm sure you've tried to find qualified help, and you have a little difficulty doing it sometimes. And so you literally have a reverse kind of market where people work anymore uh, for on the basis of whether they enjoy what they're doing. In fact, I've had guys share with me, it's kind of a frustration when you do job reviews that literally the employee wants to review you as to whether they enjoy where they're working or not. And so now we do work to a great extent for what we can gain from just about everywhere we are. And there aren't many places you can go anymore to actually be a servant. And what he's saying is, love isn't at work when you're asking this question, what is in it for me? See, love is, love is really a calling. Love is a calling that says, I am stationed in this marriage, or I'm stationed in this church, or I'm stationed in this vocation for what I can put into other people's lives around me. I, I know of a man who turned down a promotion in his company because he knew it was ill-timed in the Lord. And he said, God called me to this company to be an emissary of light and I know I'm about to see major breakthrough in at least four or five people in the immediate vicinity that I work in. And if I took this promotion, I would not be able to see God's work completed where He has called me. Now that is a Christian decision based on love. That we don't do what we do for what we can extract. We do what we do for what we can give. We are people that in the marketplace, in the church, in our marriages, in our home life with our kids, we are always saying, what can I invest? What can I put into those lives around me? Because I'm not in any relationship only to take. I'm there to give. Uh, we've been listening to a message I uh, probably have presented a number of times over the years and happy that it's freshly coming out now. Let me tell you how you can help us with the show. Uh, it does take some resources. We have some generous people who've stepped up and helped us out with a great deal of it. But if you would like to support us, what we have is an offer uh, this month for any who can help us financially. It's called A Way Through the Wilderness, a great book by Jamie Buckingham. And the reason I've chosen this book is, one, Jamie was one of my dearest friends. And I think this is one of the finest books ever written on the Exodus crossing. It is loaded with tremendous insights that you rarely find anywhere else. And it's a great book. I'm, I'm going to send it to you for whatever gift you can give to help us stay on the air. It's called The Way Through the Wilderness. All you have to do is you can do one of three things. You can either uh, go to our PayPal, which is Doug Murin at PayPal. Leave your address. The book will go out to you. Or you can send any size contribution to on tape or just Doug Murin 
to 1806 Fifth Street, Wenatchee, W-E-N-A-T-C-H-E-E, Washington. Get this. Here's the zip. 98801. 1806 Fifth Street, Wenatchee, Washington. Send any size gift with your address. I'll get the book out to you. Or you can go to our website, which is DougMurinRadio.com. DougMurinRadio.com. And you can follow the donation section. And I'll make sure you get that book. It's a tremendous book. Not only will you help me, but I know I'm going to get to help you with this book. So God bless you. We do thank you for your support. If you would like a live radio show outreach at your church, just contact us at any of those numbers. Uh, my email is doug.murin at gmail.com. doug.murin at gmail.com. And we are starting to do some outreaches. I'm not doing a lot of them, but we are starting to do one. I hope you'll enjoy the show, and God bless you, and thank you for your generosity. I want to talk to you about two things we're doing uh, with what we call the Mirin Group. Uh, one is the radio show, which is uh, we've had requests to expand. It's a number of cities now, and we're kind of patiently going that way. Uh, but we also are doing schools of evangelism in churches. Uh, we, we find that most churches grow about 200 times better when they evangelize uh, on all respects. But only about 10% of any church are really that great at evangelism. And uh, I like to stretch that to 15. So the school of evangelism is designed to hit, take that 10 to 15% of people in your church and teach them how to share their faith naturally, easily. And fruitfully, I mean, to really pull off convincing uh, people of Christ. You know, I, I read recently in Christianity Today that about one half of uh, younger than baby boomer uh, people in church think evangelism is, in fact, uh, dishonest uh, 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 and savory. I, I looked at that and I thought, nah, it, answers to questions like that all depend on how you ask them. I, I think what they're saying is we're a little mystified by it. We don't know how all this works. We don't know how to posit uh, the gospel to people. I, I was walking downtown. A lot of it starts with prayer. I was walking downtown Seattle one day, and this guy walked up to me, just walked up to me. and said, are, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. You want to be one? And he said, yes. I led him to Christ. And he ended up in the local church. So I've learned that a lot of it begins with simple things any of us can do, simply like pray. I mean, really, simply knowing how to pray for lots of people. So I do that. And then we're also doing live radio shows. I've got some great team members, Caleb, who you hear on the show every once in a while, uh, Dr. Alec here Rogers and, and Gary Verrill. And, and these are great shows on either Wednesday night or Sunday night. And uh, people, you know, when I've done them before, people meet Christ in amazing, surprising ways. Bring your friends. And, and so if you want to be in on those, please pray for us as they happen and join us not only with the show, and uh, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy the message today. And now back to more Caught on Tape with Doug Murin. Here's the beauty of love. It will never fail you when you apply it. If you want to know how to always succeed and never fail, I need that. My halls are eucalyptus here. If you, if you want to know how to always succeed as a believer, always opt for love. Because here's what he's saying. Prophecies, what will happen with them? They're going to cease. They're not going to be anymore. Tongues won't speak anymore. They'll be stilled. And if it be the issue of knowledge, it's going to pass away. Well, what's he saying about love? He's building a contrasting picture for us. Let's look at it in a moment. Love never fails, and yet prophecies will cease. Well, what love will do? Well, love will not only never fail, love is never going to cease. Well, why isn't it? Because it's a divine attribute of God. In fact, the Bible says that God is love. 
when the prophecies are going to wear out, but the love you and I exercise will go on eternally in terms of its impact. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Corinthian church, if you behave lovingly to one another, that expression of love will never cease. Your prophecies are great. I'm really proud of you. You're prophesying. Really neat. Really good. Too many of you are prophesying, but that's all right. Those are really good. But the influence and impact of those prophecies are short-lived. The impact of your love toward one another shall not have any end. It will pass on into eternity. And tongues will stop speaking. Love talks forever. Now think about it for a moment. How many can remember somebody saying or doing something loving toward you? I want you to lift your hand because I want you to think about Picture it for a moment. Who can you think of that has said or done something loving to you? How many can remember somebody expressing the love of Christ toward you sometime or other in your life recently or in the past? How many can? Right, you picture them right now. Okay. Now, isn't it as though they're right there with you? Why? Well, because love keeps speaking. It keeps talking and talking. Knowledge will pass away, but love is never forgotten. And there's kind of a psychology to love that he's going to pass on to us in verse... Jump down with me so we can get done tonight into verse 11. He said, had said earlier in verse 9 and 10, he says, For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the imperfect disappears. Now, he says, when I was a child... I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things away. Well, what's he getting at here? Well, he's talking about the psychology of love. It's really quite interesting. He's saying that there's a little child in every one of us that stops love from working. It's a misbelief system that's childishness. Uh, do any of you ever act childishly? He's saying there are psychological blockages to the release of love. They're misbeliefs. I wrote down some of mine. Here are some misbeliefs that I think are childish kind of things. Now, he's, I'll run through these. Now, think about his word here. If you have a pen, I'll circle this. I put childish ways behind me. If you have an NIV, if you, don't have, another, uh, if you have another translation, you have the wrong one. Uh, but if you have NIV, uh, so I can't help you at all there. But if you have NIV, it says, I put childish ways behind I want you to circle that. What Paul is saying is there is a dynamic at work in each of us that must be addressed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an inner childishness that blocks the release of love in our life. And he's very concerned about it. And he uses very psychological terminologies in addressing it. He uses a Greek word here, kartagio. In fact, let's say that together, shall we? Okay, Artagio, and you can impress your neighbors if we say it one time, you'll remember it again. Okay, Cartagio, which means to render powerless. He says, render powerless those childish beliefs that block love. Now, if you look at the character traits of love, here are some of what these childish misbeliefs may be. One, I must stand up for my own rights. Isn't that a childish misbelief? In fact, there's plenty of study that says even our birth order can make us prone to certain misbeliefs. For example, I can always spot an older child. I'm an older son. And an older son uh, is, is usually kind of domineering, you know, usually kind of bossy type. You know, maybe even some of them I've seen, I've not known them firsthand, but some of them I've seen are a little pugnacious. Uh, you know, a younger, younger child usually is the fun-loving lo one in the family and, and usually is pretty concerned about making sure their idea is heard. In fact, they'll even get aggressive about it. 
An only child is quite interesting. Only child children usually are great leaders uh, because they're used to the whole world revolving around them. And they figure the whole world should, and they don't sweat it. And everybody gets, everybody likes to be around somebody who doesn't need them. That's true. Uh, an only child will never reach out to you. They'll usually, you'll be drawn to them. And it's an unusual thing that happens. But we all have our little shtick, no matter what our background, about what blocks love. Some of us believe, for example, that people never change. So how many have ever, people have never changed. Have you ever heard yourself say that? People never change. They just never change. Well, that's a misbelief, and it's totally unbiblical. Because the facts are the human personality, we know, changes totally every six months, or can. You didn't know you were that fluid, did you? I did, and that's what frightens me. Yeah. Here's another misbelief. My needs being met is the most important thing in the whole world. My needs being met, that is the most important issue in the whole world. That's why I came to Christ, was to get my needs met. No, no, baby. That may have drawn you initially, but it, you didn't read the fine print if you're continuing in that misbelief. You came to take up your cross and lay down your life and be buried with Him before you could be resurrected. It's a hard life being a Christian. But you already signed up. Too bad. <laughs> Here's another misbelief. God is against me and He wants me to be different. That's a misbelief. God is against me and he wants me to be different. If you believe that, you cannot be an avenue and channel of God's love. God loves you. He made you the way you are. As ridiculous as that may sound, he did. He needed you just the way you are. Here's another misbelief. With God, life should be easy. That's how you know you're in his will. I know a lot of believers live their whole life looking for this mysterious time when there will be no problems. And that's when they'll know their prayer life is utterly and totally on track. They are truly filled with the Spirit. And they have been endowed with blessings from on high. I read one guy, uh, C.H. Spurgeon, has a great phrase. He says, get nervous when the devil is not attempting to molest your life. Well, there are a lot of misbeliefs that are childlike that get in there and they block our, our lives from releasing love. And the Bible says that when we encounter them, we are to do as Paul said. He said he didn't go on in lovelessness. He determined in his heart he would address that issue in his life. And he knew the number one priority he must have is to be a person who releases the character traits of love. The permanence of love he knew would go far beyond any power gifts he ever exhibited. Now you're talking about a guy here, don't get confused. You're talking about a guy here that raised people from the dead. I mean, we'd consider raising people to the dead as, as being a pretty good gift. That's a lot of power. I've, I've never even seen anything like that. I've talked to people who said they've heard that, seen that. I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. Paul did that. Here's a guy who one time, a guy was arguing with him and trying to keep his master the governor of one of the islands out in the Mediterranean from receiving Christ and Paul rebuked him and what happened to the guy? Anybody remember? He went blind. How would you like to have that gift? Anybody who got too lippy with you? Just... <laughs> Don't mess with me. He did that. Let me tell you a couple of other things he did. He was bitten by a poisonous snake and he should have died and he lived. But in here, you know what he says? He says he understands very clearly even though he had started the most powerful churches of his time, even though he, could, he had told us in 2 Corinthians 12, he had literally been into heaven. He had been into the throne room. 
In fact, he had seen and heard things and had revelation he couldn't tell anybody. He had raised people from the dead. He had lived through poisonings. He'd lived through beatings. He'd been beaten to death three times and still lived. Followed Christ. This guy had a rough life. And you know what he said? He said, all of this stuff I've done that people could recognize me for is of no value. The measurement of my life is to whether the next person I confront, have I been loving to them? And that is the determinative of the real spiritual release and power the Lord wants to bring into our lives. Amen? Now, don't ever forget, you never know how much love you have to the heat's on. And I'm often embarrassed. So don't feel bad. I mean, I'm one of the most spiritual people I know. And I am weakly embarrassed at how loveless I am. I really am. I'm sometimes just appalled at how unloving I can be. And, and, I, and it makes me wonder about the rest of the world. But we need a release of love. I think in our congregation, we need a baptism of love. We really do. We've had one, and there's a lot of love around. But I have been praying as I've gone through this chapter, Lord, baptize us in your love. Would you stand with me and pray that prayer with me tonight? Hallelujah. Lord, we've gone through a lot of material tonight. But there's this overriding and overarching truth, and that is we need to be baptized in the release of your high regard and care and concern for others. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to value highly, as Paul did, the release of love in our lives. In fact, I ask, Lord, that you would bring a baptism of love into our homes, a baptism of love into this church, a baptism of love into our jobs. The mark of a Christian, we have to know, is love. Release that in us, Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. You've been listening to uh, this message on love, and uh, you can hear this show and the others in this particular series, or any show, by going to kcisradio.com, and they'll be right there listed on the podcast. Or you can go to our website, which is dougmearnradio.com, dougmearnradio.com, and uh, you can you can catch the shows there on a podcast format, but Krista Radio's ready for you to hit them up and, and listen to it again and pass it around. We'd appreciate it. Caught on Tape with Doug Murin is a listener and friend-supported program. Your help with the show and expanding the evangelism events of Doug Murin is appreciated. You can write Doug Murin, Caught on Tape, at 1806 5th Street, Wenatchee, Washington, 98801, or online at DougMurinRadio.com. 